Welcome to On The Rise, a podcast about female college tennis players on the way up. On The Rise serves compelling stories and unique voices in women's college tennis. This is your host, Perry Shinen. This is part of a new mini-series called The Return, where we check in with former guests who are doing big things on and off the court. We last spoke with Angela Kulikov when she was a senior at USC, getting ready to start her professional tennis career. Since then, she and her doubles partner, Sophie Chang, have reached seven finals, won four ITF titles, and one WTA title in Hamburg. Angela is now ranked top 70 in the world in doubles. Last week, she and Sophie reached the second round of the U.S. Open. It's been so awesome to follow everything you've been doing. I mean, since we last chatted, you have won a million things. (laughs) You win your first title 10 months ago. In the past 10 months, you've reached seven finals, four titles, and then one WTA title. (laughs) I didn't even know that. That's pretty cool. And now we're back. So my first question is, how are you? Pretty good these days. Um, You know, there obviously was a lot of success that I was fortunate enough to come across in the last few months, but there were also just so many rough patches that went along with it, both on and off the court. It was funny because a lot of times, you know, I would get these lovely texts from people just going, man, you must be loving life and everything's just going amazing. I'm so happy for you. But for a lot of it, it's actually been honestly a really tough, brutal year. But um, yeah, I'm definitely doing well (laughs) coming off this today for sure. What has been tough for you off the court? My mom um, was diagnosed stage four throat cancer back in 2021, early 2021. So that was obviously a very difficult thing for our family to deal with. You know, she's been super brave, gone through a few surgeries, gone through chemo, radiation, immunotherapy, and is doing much better right now. But, you know, it's been absolutely tough on her. And then, of course, things like that affect the whole family. But again, like I said, that's what made this moment so special was that I was able to deliver that for her and just give her that moment that she's been fighting for through the illness and and through her entire life in general. Her spirits are definitely up as well, which has been really, really great to see. I'm so sorry to hear that. The fact that this is how life works. You know what I mean? These huge ups, they come with huge downs. They do, but I think you need downs for ups, you need ups for downs. And I think when you can hold both, you can just really start to actually appreciate them even more. I think that was one of the bigger things that I've started to learn how to do in the last couple of years, I'd say. Do you feel like you have a different perspective because of what's going on when you step on the court? For sure. I wouldn't say a ton of that changed just from my mom's illness. There were moments for me in the beginning where it added pressure because it was, you know, stage four is a very serious diagnosis and she's in remission right now, which is fantastic. It's one of those things where we're just always kind of watching it. But my head when I first heard stage four was, you know, that's terminal and it became, I need to deliver on all these things that I promised her all these things. She sacrificed so much for me since I was younger in order to help me make my dreams come true. My first response sometimes was, you got to win a WTA or you got to make a slam or you got to do something and you got to do it on a clock. So that was tough for me in the beginning. And then I think with time and watching her fight through it, I sort of let go of that stuff. You know, you started to realize like, what is that ultimately going to do? Does my mom love me because I bring home a title? No, it has nothing to do with that. So I think once I worked past that part, it became more of an inspiration for me. You know, those days you don't want to work, those days you're tired to push through and less of a ticking time bomb that I needed to beat because I know the moments that will matter to her are not the moments that I provide on court. That being said, being able to provide that moment on court was very sweet and she is very excited. So 
I think if anything, it's been more of a nice reminder that life doesn't stop for tennis. You know, tennis probably is the biggest part of my life, but it's not the only one. And I think it's just helping to understand you experience and you feel so much emotion when you're playing, but being able to separate and recognize there are things off the court that bring me more joy than this. There are things off the court that bring me more pain than this almost help me in a way, minimize tennis, but minimize it in a good way. Minimize it into a sport and a game that I love, that I'm lucky to play instead of this life or death thing that we sometimes get sucked into when we're in elite athletics. And you and Sophie are such an awesome team. So you've been playing with Sophie Chang for how long now? So our first tournament was Berkeley. That was back in October. I've been joking. It's what I described the most successful DM slide ever. Because I, I saw her at Concord hitting on one of the courts a match before I was on. So I was more just peeping over to check the score. And I watched her play two points. And I was like, huh. And I remember I sent a text to my team back home and was like, what do you think of Sophie Chang? And they got mad at me. They were like, Ange, you have a match in like 15 minutes. What are you doing right now? And I went, hey, okay, okay. But I messaged her after that tournament and just said, hey, you know, I feel like our games would mesh well. Would you be down to play sometime? And so we debuted at Berkeley and I think we won that tournament without dropping a set. We're like, all right, now we're pretty good. Played two more tournaments that year. Bad chokes, two in a row. I was thinking, God, Sophie's never going to play with me again. And Sophie was thinking, Angie's never going to play with me again. And then, you know, we go into off season with that in our minds. And then we started off this year again, back in Rome in early February, took that title as well. And uh, I guess the rest is sort of history. <laughs> Talk about playing in your first WTA tournament and just walking in. What were your thoughts? Walking in, I didn't expect it to hit me as much as it did. I obviously was very excited. I know there's a bit more glamour on the WTA tour than there is on the ITF, even if it is the bottom rungs of it. It also was a combined ATP 500 event, so it was even more glamorous. It's funny because I write these little passages and I usually post them on Instagram, just kind of sharing these life lessons or experiences I have. And I wrote one watching Sophie play singles qualities in Rome. And the whole premise of that first one I wrote was how I had so much fear in the beginning that I wasn't going to be good enough for this career, good enough for this life. And then I started to realize after a few months on tour that my biggest fear was actually that this life and this career wouldn't be enough for me because it isn't all glamorous. It is quite monotonous and lonely, especially in the beginning. And it was funny because my first day there, we got picked up in these beautiful Mercedes Benzes because they're the tournament sponsor and driven to the hotel. And the hotel was gorgeous. And we had this, you know, super fancy European breakfast. And I remember joking, I ate the croissant and I was like, yep, this life will work for me. <laughs> you know, this is fine. But um, the first day I got my credential and we got to the site and I had no idea there was this massive stadium like that. And I literally turned into a five-year-old when we got there. And Sophie was just cracking up at me, being all wide-eyed. Oh my God, can I go look in the stadium? And she's like, dude, you, you, you're a player. You got a credential. You can do whatever you want. There was a security guard and I just sprinted past him and just went to the stadium. And I took a selfie of me just holding my credential up with the biggest goofy smile on my face. And I sent it to just everyone that I would consider has been a part of my journey. You know, every coach I've had, every close friend I've had that's helped me. And I just was like, I made it. Like I sent a text to my coach, Dave, and I was like, I think this might have been the best morning of my life. And his response was something like, don't lose your romanticism, but it's just the best day so far. And it's amazing how well that aged <laughs> over the week. But I mean, just being there that first day, that first moment, 
that was more than enough already for this to have been an incredible experience. So everything that followed it, I, I'm still wrapping my mind around. How do you go from such awe to literally winning the same tournament? For me, it would be unbelievable. And then I would go out there and not be able to hit the ball. <laughs> yeah. You, three, four, five days later, are holding the title for the same trophy. My coaches have always known part of the charm of working with me is this romanticism I have about everything. But from a competitive standpoint, that's not always the most advantageous thing. So for them, there were a lot of reminders like, hey, enjoy yourself. But remember, you're here to compete. And I, I kept saying, I, I understand that. But I think because I had that self-awareness to know you really got to manage your thoughts and do the best you can to keep everything in check was important. I was able to harness that pure joy into, I mean, I know this sounds very, uh, you know, yogi or whatever, but there was so much appreciation and gratitude for that moment that it helps me at least subdue those doubts that come in about, well, what if you embarrass yourself? You know, what if you get wrecked in the first round? I think because that was such an anchor for me, it helped me manage all the extra anxiety that was going to come from the pressure of, of those moments. Billie Jean King, one of my idols, says pressure is a privilege. Exactly. At what point in the tournament did you think, maybe I can win this thing? If you're going to a tournament, you're going to try to win the tournament or there's no point in going. I wasn't going to bet any money on it. You know, this is new. But our first round, we played a tough team. I thought we played at a pretty high level and I was happy with it. Our second round again, I was happy with our level. I felt like it was a winnable match. We won. Our semifinal, I was feeling really good about. We were playing two Russian girls, one of them who was having a fantastic week. Potapova had beat Krejcikova. So I knew, all right, they're going to be on. And we won four points in the first set. So we were down 6-0, or something. And I mean, we're barely winning points. And I remember having moments in that match, even thinking, I feel like we're going to get investigated by the like tennis and tennis. It was such a beatdown. And I was like, oh boy. All right. Well, this was a great run. We have a lot of work to do. We got to raise our level if we want to be in the later rounds of tournaments. And somehow we survived through that one. And then when we got to the final, Aldila Suciati, who's a fantastic player, had beaten Sophie and I three times already. I actually think Sophie and I only have four or five losses in our career together. And three of those are to Aldila. And I was like, God, I mean, that's just the last person I want to see in this final. But we've gotten close with her every single time. And I know how much we've both improved as a team. And I still believed that if we just produce our level, if we show up and we play well, we win. And if we don't play well, we lose. So every individual match we played, I believed we could win. And I even believed we would win. When I looked at it as the whole tournament, no, I probably didn't have that in there yet. But because I was able to stay that compartmentalized and just focus on the task right in front of me, it wasn't a dream run per se. It was just we did a great job every step of the way. The comeback in the semis might have been a little, <laughs> a little ridiculous, but beyond that, yeah. <laughs> to me, of course, it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> but I understand where you're coming from. So what does make a good doubles team? There's a lot of pieces. I mean, talent matters. Sophie, since I watched her play for the first time, I just feel like has so many incredible weapons and just strikes the ball different than I've seen from anyone else on the WTA tour. Obviously, we're breaking out in doubles, but I feel like this is her breakout in singles. So I'm calling it right now. Mark the date. So I just think the weapons that she has and the way I can complement those weapons really helps us because just every piece of the court we have covered on any court we step on, I firmly believe she's got the best ground strokes on the court and I believe I have the best net game on the court. 
And then team chemistry obviously matters because I play a very aggressive style of doubles. I'm moving a lot at the net. Sometimes when I've played with partners, it takes a little bit for us to start gelling and understanding how each other moves. And I expected that with Sophie in Berkeley. So that's why when we won it, I was really surprised, but it just felt like we understood each other. And as I got to know her better, you know, I realized she's as big a tennis dork as I am. We had a lot of road tripping back in April and we would just get in the longest tennis debates about strategy and technique. And um, we've started to share a brain just because we are so intrigued and eager to learn. People say team chemistry is kind of a natural thing. I think maybe a little bit of it is, but there was effort that went into us sharing that brain and understanding the fluidity of the way we play. So she's definitely one of my closest friends now. And when the relationship is that strong off of the tennis court, I think it just helps so much on it because when there's that security and that understanding that I have your back, no matter what, you have so much more freedom to just go for it instead of get into that. I don't want to blow it for us mode. So that's, I think, a very undervalued piece to what makes a great doubles team. And how do practices work? Do you practice together? We do. She actually tested positive for COVID when we were in the middle of a tournament in Charleston unexpectedly. So we had this whole plan. We were supposed to go play Charleston and then a 125 in France and a 250 in Switzerland. And that whole thing got derailed because she tested positive when we got her a test in order to help her fly. So we get this positive test and we're like, oh my God. So we have to withdraw from the tournament. We go home and it's one of those things where we managed to make the best out of that situation. And we got a couple unbelievable training days together. And without those, we wouldn't have had the run we had in Hamburg. So it always helps to get in actual doubles work with your partner. But even when we're traveling, when we're on court together, there are times where you'd think one of us is the coach and one is the player because there's so much back and forth and coaching between the two of us because we're so eager to learn and grow. And there's also no ego between us. There's just this mutual respect. We help each other. So we'll straight up, I'll start yelling at her that that volley looked terrible and you broke your wrist or whatever. Or she'll tell me you pulled off that forehand completely. And there's just this constant communication and learning. And um, I really think that's why we've improved and been able to rise so quickly. It's not even just, oh, we were so good. I think Every step of the way, we've just kept getting better and better and better. I don't think you can take us even back in April when we had our first kind of big run and put us in Germany and have the same result. I really think there was tremendous development that occurred in between that space and hopefully will continue to occur as we uh, keep trying to aim higher and higher. You're like a cat out there at net. It's <laughs> unbelievable. You're fearless. And these girls are ripping the ball. And you're there earlier before they can even take the racket back. <laughs> Where do you get that fearlessness from? <laughs> it's trained. My psych education coming through. I joke it's conditioned. I mean, I do think I have fast reflexes. I think some of that is a natural gift that I'm lucky to have. But that fear piece is real. And these girls on tour, they absolutely rip. I mean, I know this is a podcast, but if you actually could see my body, I have like three massive bruises on my leg from just getting shot at. Because if you're going to move like that, you are going to take some shots. And it's funny, when you take those shots, it hurts. But after a while, you realize it doesn't kill you. And I think that helps with the fear. But um, the fear is real. And I think I've done a lot of work off the court and on learning how to literally control that anxiety response when you hear the sound of a ball on a stadium too, like the sound of Sophie's forehand when she makes contact, you feel your blood pressure go up, you feel your breath, you feel your muscles tighten. And I've literally done so much work in practice 
repping that scenario to almost train that fear response out of me. So it's a gift that I'd say is supplemented by a tremendous amount of tennis and non-tennis training. I train the hand speed on court and stuff like reflex training with blaze pods off the court. What are blaze pods? It's kind of like whack-a-mole, but like athlete whack-a-mole, you know? Those are so cool. All the pros use those. They're yeah, no, they're super fun. I got them for Christmas for my coach a couple years ago. And I used to have this belief in my head. If I didn't do at least six sets of 30 seconds every day, my reflexes will be gone. And I've calmed down from that. I do bring them on trips. They didn't come on this trip because I... I'm really proud of this. I managed to go to Europe without checking a bag. So I didn't have space for it. I literally had one bag and one backpack. So I wouldn't have to check anything because there's been all these stories of people lately losing their bags at the airport. On the list of things I'm proud of this week, that probably makes the top 10. It's that I went to Europe for almost two weeks on one bag. <laughs> it takes me one bag to go for one day anywhere. <laughs> we got laundry every single day. That helped a ton. But it was funny because it's also a duffel bag because it needs to fit on a European airline, which is going to be smaller than an American one. And I didn't pack for souvenirs and I, I couldn't bring the trophy home. The tournament was actually nice enough. They took all my stuff and they said, we'll ship it to you. So there, I'm still waiting right now for everything to come in the mail. But I was very grateful to them for helping me with that. That is the most unbelievable story ever. <laughs> yeah, it was. You don't even have it with you. I don't, no. I mean, I don't need it. I have the memories and the videos are fantastic. It's actually also a really cool trophy. So Hamburg has a tradition, I think, that's really unique where they take basically the trace of the ball or the trajectory of the point, essentially, and they turn the last year's champion into the next year's logo and the next year's trophy. So it's a super unique trophy. So I'm excited to find a place for it <laughs> at home. And so what next for you? You know, it's the U.S. Open Swing. I got a little bit banged up in that tournament. I had a few almost uh, Sports Center top 10 shots that didn't happen, but almost did. But my body took a toll. I had those bruises from taking those shots. In the quarters, I had this one dive that looked really cool, but took so much skin off of me. I couldn't shower after the match and I had to go to the trainer and ask them to tape me to shower because just the water on how much skin I lost everywhere on my leg, on my arm, on my hands was too painful. So I'm taking a week or two here to uh, let that calm down. And then, you know, I'll try to get a few tournaments in for the U.S. Open Swing, which is exciting because I didn't know if I was going to be ranked high enough to do that. I think we talked about before, too, when I lost the semifinals of NCAAs, I felt like that was my only shot at ever getting to play in the U.S. Open. So in this quick a turnaround to have earned it myself and get to share that moment, you know, um, my coach Allison from USC is going to be there. My assistant that helped me quite a bit, Chris Wooten, will be there. You know, my coaches Dave and Rachel are going to be there. So I'm very excited. And this is not the only career that you've been developing. You're also an amazing coach. I mean, <laughs> you coached a team to an NCAA title while all of this was happening. Look, I assistant assistant coach. Dave, my coach, is, is the head coach. Caitlin Bernard is his true assistant who's in there in the thick of it, day in and day out, doing all the work on court with the girls and poor thing having to deal with all the receipts and stuff that Dave's throwing on her, <laughs> all the administrative work. I just, I help when I can. So when I'm home and when I'm training, the Athena's, with their academic schedule, they practice at night, which is great because I can stick around and I can help. I've gotten to 
coach a good amount of matches. I do film sessions with them even when I'm on the road, which is great because, you know, it gets lonely when you're gone and I can connect with them. That Orlando trip was so cool because we obviously had belief in the players, but I wouldn't have said we were a favorite to have a run like that at NCAA. So that moment, I didn't get to experience that from the team standpoint, but to share that moment with them and to know I had a small part of it was really cool and really special. And then, of course, the week after you win your own title. It's unbelievable. And your other career as a quarterback coach is going to have to wait as well. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's been sidelined a bit. Definitely anyone who's got a football, you'll see me sprint over and clap my hands and let's go get me one. But I haven't been too active in my football career <laughs> lately. The tennis one kept me busy, but that'll come back one day for sure. There's just too much love for that sport. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been so cool to reconnect. And I just can't wait to see what you do next. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I, I always love our chats. I feel like we get to go a lot deeper than a lot of podcasts. It's always a, a blast. Hopefully the next one, we'll get to celebrate the next thing. <laughs> 100%. We will do that. Beautiful. Thank you so much. This has been an episode of On The Rise, a Tennis Channel podcast in partnership with Behind the Racket and produced by Molly Schulson. Join us next time to continue our conversation about women's college tennis. This is Perry Shinen on The Rise.